chapter number 16. Sorry, Randy, I forgot to turn it on. Genesis chapter 16. This morning I forgot to turn the microphone off when we left church, so the battery was run down when I came back, and now I forget to turn it on. There are drawbacks to getting old. Genesis chapter 16 and verse number 6 in just a moment. This is a little bit of a different service for us. For the last few years, we have not had a service on Backlark evening because it was on Mother's Day. And we don't traditionally have an <clears throat> evening service on Mother's Day. Could have called off the service again, but that would have meant we only had one service on Sunday night uh, in the the month of May, and that put a lot of pressure on Tyler because he's going to speak next Sunday night, and I didn't want to put that much pressure on him, and I didn't want you to get in the habit of not coming to church. Some had already told me that it was kind of falling into a habit, <clears throat> so we, we don't want to go there. One of the most horrible feelings in the world has to be the feeling that one is abandoned by God. You know how it goes. There Things are going along pretty well in your life, and, and then, and then the bottom falls out. And then the confusion surrounding those events, we are tempted to wonder, God, where are you? I think that's how Hagar, the woman in our story this evening, must have felt. Hagar is alone. She is frightened and pretty sure that God is nowhere to be found. Some of you tonight may feel much like Hagar, mistreated, neglected, even abandoned. Now let me just set a little bit of background for our story this evening. The background of this story is that God has promised Abram, or Abraham, and we use the terms interchangeably because his name was Abram and changed by God to Abraham. Uh, so we'll use the terms interchangeably. Abram and Sarah have been promised a, a child. And Abram and Sarah have waited 11 years now since God made that promise to Abram. And there doesn't seem to be that they're any closer than they ever were to receiving that promise. Sarah wanted so much to see the fulfillment of that promise that she resorts to a custom of the world. That custom was to suggest to her husband that he take her handmaiden, Hagar, to act as a, sur a surrogate childbearer in her behalf. The proposal was accepted. It was acted upon by Abram, and soon Hagar is with child. And that's when the problems really begin. Hagar quickly begins to feel superior to Sarah, and look down upon her because of her uh, inability to have children. Sarah, in turn, becomes jealous and unhappy. Sarah soon made life so miserable for Hagar that Hagar flees. Hagar takes off in the direction of her homeland. We remember that she came from the time that Abraham and Sarah spent in Egypt. And she takes off in the direction of her homeland out through the desert. It was a dangerous thing to do for a pregnant woman alone. 
which probably speaks to us volumes about just how desperate she must have felt. Now let's begin to look at our story in verse number 6 of Genesis chapter 16. It says, So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hands. Do to her as you please. You'll remember that Sarah came to Abram. She said almost literally, Abram, this is your fault. Uh, She's getting out of hand. You need to take care of her. And Abram, as any good male, male will do, said, Well, you handle it. You take care of it. She's your <clears throat> maiden, so you take care of it. It says, and when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. And now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself into her hand. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall be counted for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And so she called the name of the Lord who called to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? I want you to notice with me three things about Hagar and what she learns about God. Three things that Hagar learns about God. First of all, God sees every situation in your life. In verse 6, it says, When Sarah dwelt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. We have to wonder, because we're really not told, we have to wonder just how much Hagar understood about the God of Abram, the living and true God. She certainly was exposed to belief in and worship of uh, Jehovah, And whether she had herself come to faith in him is a question that we can't answer with any certainty. We do know that her past was a painful memory, and her future was at best uncertain. Hagar, whose name, by the way, means fugitive, or to flee, fled from Sarah, and God finds her beside the fountain of water in the wilderness of Shur. There is a parallel here between what happens here and then how God sought out Adam and Eve after they had sinned and were in trouble. God now seeks out Hagar. There are two things that we can never get away from. God and yourself. David made that discovery himself when he wrote in Psalm 139, In verses 9 and 10, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The truth is, though, that Hagar wasn't seeking God. She was running away from everyone. She soon discovers that God is far more interested in us than we will ever be in him or even in ourselves and our own welfare. And in verse 7, we read, And now the angel of the Lord 
found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Now I want you to look at that term, the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? Well, there's an ongoing debate among scholars as to whether this is an angel or a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, a term which we use Christophany, which means he appeared in human form before he was born in Bethlehem. This is the first mention in the Bible of the angel of the Lord. There are elements of this account that have led some commentators to believe that this actually was an appearance of Jesus prior to his being born in Bethlehem in human form. One thing is that the term angel, just as it is in Greek, so it is in Hebrew, means messenger. It doesn't necessarily mean someone belonging to the special created order of spiritual beings, angels. It can mean one who's simply a messenger. One also notes that he is referred to as the angel, not an angel. And when we come down to look at how Hagar herself treats this individual, she behaves and refers to him as if he were divine. The angel of the Lord asked Hagar a question in verse 8. He said, where have you come from and where are you going? Whenever God asks someone a question in the Bible, there is one thing that we can be sure of. He's not looking for information. Since he already knows everything and is all-knowing, he's not seeking information. God wanted Hagar to reflect on two things. God wanted Hagar to think about where have you come from and where are you going? She had fled from being Sarah's maid. She really, in that day and time, did not have the freedom to run away from that responsibility. Furthermore, where was she going? Well, it appears that she really had no plan, no idea. She's just running away. She was fo so focused on what she was fleeing from that she had no idea what she was headed to. Here's a truth in life. If we are not careful, we can allow the events from our past to define our present and our future, in fact, to define who we are. Hagar will find out what most of us know on some level. Running away does not change relationships, nor does it change responsibilities. When circumstances are hard, we may try to run away, but we are fortunate indeed if those wayward steps of ours away from what we think is our problem lead us to a confrontation with God. The problem is that we need a change of heart, not just a change of circumstances. The second thing that we see is that God seeks to give direction in every situation in your life. At this point, I think that the story takes a rather surprising turn. We might have expected that the angel would console Hagar and assure her of God's protection as she makes her journey. But instead, the angel gives her some instructions that might have been rather hard to hear. 
He says in verse 9, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. You ought to take the time to underline two words in that verse. Return and submit. There are many reasons why Hagar would have been hesitant to obey the instructions that she was given. Fear of further mistreatment unresolved anger against Sarah and Abram, no desire to submit to someone who has proven themselves unkind, doubt about the wisdom of God's directions, any of those, maybe all of those. And to make matters worse, no explanations are given. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but God very seldom gives explanations. He very seldom tells us why we are to do what he says that we are to do. Hagar's decision was pretty simple. Obey or disobey. We don't like to hear that kind of directive in our lives. We sputter, but, but Lord, you don't really know how bad I've been mistreated. You don't know how bad it is. Give me the blessing first, And then I'll gladly submit. But God's way is submit first, and then he blesses. He says to her in a way, you don't learn to submit to me by running from a situation. That kind of hurts when we think about it. In the New Testament, the letter which becomes the the book of 1 Peter is all about submission. Submission to authority in times of trial. The Christians to whom Peter wrote were suffering. Some of them were slaves under harsh masters. Some of them were wives with disobedient husbands. All of them were citizens under an unjust government. And Peter's word to each of those group of victims was the same. Submit. He sums it all up in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Before Hagar can receive the blessing, she must return to the path of blessing. And this is not to be found in running away from the place where God wants her to be. While Hagar's instruction from the Lord is a difficult word, we have to also stop and realize it is a merciful word. Hagar may have suffered greatly and even perished if she had continued her flight into the wilderness. God often mercifully checks us in our disobedience, stops us in our disobedience to prevent us from even greater harm. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, wrote, when, when we have run away from something, we never want to go back to it. But if you have made a wrong turn in the direction of your life, as we often do, the only thing to do is return to the point where you went wrong and start over. Anything else only takes us further and further away. 
In the same way, if we have rebelled against one proper authority, our problem is never solved by continuing in that rebellion or even seeking out another authority. It may be, if we look at our lives, that we're running away from something. We perhaps have made a foolish mistake, and now we might feel, as Hagar did, that God has deserted us. We may feel like an outcast. We may feel that we are suffering for sinful choices that we really didn't have anything to do with. Maybe it was somebody else's choice. It may be humbling to be forced to return to the place of our failure, but that is where we're going to find the power of God that will enable us to triumph. God told Hagar to stop running, to turn and face a difficult situation, and to trust him. He did not say that things were going to be great when Hagar returned to Abram and Sarah. In fact, they weren't. The consequences of their poor choices continued to have to be dealt with. But God is able to to help us live with even the consequences of our foolish past. Third and finally tonight, God is there to provide encouragement and help in every situation of our lives. I love the fact that God allows, even encourages, U-turns in the desert. As we begin to look at our situation, we see several things here. First, God gave Hagar a word of promise in verse number 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Speaking in the first person as God, the angel of the Lord spoke promises to Hagar, promises of a multitude of descendants. Secondly, he expressed the fact that he understood her affliction. I don't know if you stopped to look at this or not, but I think it's interesting that it says that the Lord heard Hagar's affliction, not her prayers. Whether Hagar was calling out to the Lord or not, we don't know. But the Lord graciously hears her affliction. Even when we fail to call out to him as we should, he hears our affliction. When speaking of God's rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt, Moses recorded in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7 that God said, I have seen the affliction of my people and I have heard their cry. The angel also offers a prophecy about Ishmael in verse number 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Concerning her son, the Lord tells her that the name is to be Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears. Because the Lord heard her affliction. Whenever she sang a lullaby to little Ishmael, or when even she said his name under her breath, she would have to stop and remember God hears. Even when he was being difficult and she shouted his name, Ishmael, she would have to stop and understand that that was a result of God's intervention in her life. Every time she called her son's name, 
Hagar would be reminded of God's faithfulness and that he had heard her affliction. From the angel's words in verse number 12, we also get a brief portrait of Ishmael's character. It's none too flattering. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. The angel said that Ishmael would be a wild man. The King James says he would be a wild donkey of a man. That hardly sounds flattering, does it? He will be a wild donkey of a man. In other words, he's going to be independent. He's going to be rough around the edges. He's going to be prone to conflict. He's going to be filled with anger. Ishmael would probably have been voted by his graduating class most likely to go to prison. The long and violent history of the Arab race is an obvious commentary on the fulfillment of that prophecy. And God gave Hagar something even more important than that. God gave Hagar his presence. Verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she says, Have I also here seen him who sees me? When Hagar felt that God was absent, she learned that in reality he had always been there all along and that he had been watching over her. Now this is something I don't want you to miss. She was the only person, male or female, in the Old Testament who conferred a name on God. Hagar says that God truly was El-Rohi, El-Rohi, which means the strong one who sees. It's just written L, uh, E-L-R-O-I, El-Rohi. When Hagar feels abandoned by God and man, it is El-Rohi who comes to meet her need. Hagar learns that Jehovah is a personal God who is attentive in his watch care over his children. I wonder if you've ever stopped to consider that God sees you. He sees you right where you are. He sees you as you are and where you are. He sees where you've come from and where you're going. He sees what you need and what you don't need. And above all, he sees something that no one else can. He sees what you will become. Scholars have debated how to interpret the Hebrew of the last sentence in verse 13. It's translated in the New King James Version is, I have also here seen him who sees me. That expression is almost identical to the one found in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 23 where God tells Moses that he will see his back but not his face because no one will see his face and live. And so the meaning may be, I have caught a glimpse of God. It seems to be an expression on the part of Hagar that she has caught even a glimpse of God and has lived. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that Hagar responded in faith. 
and returned home. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, who Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Her actions really speak volumes about her faith in God. Why would she dare to go home after the way that Sarah had mistreated her? Well, there are several reasons, I think. One, she believed that she could trust God in spite of her circumstances. She concluded that God's goodness was greater than Sarah's hostility and that she knew that if she did what God had called her to do, that God would take care of her. There is, however, always, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. It would appear that Sarah and Hagar never did learn to coexist in peace. In fact, the conflict only escalated after the birth of Isaac. Later in Genesis, we will read in Genesis chapter 21 and verses 8 through 10, so the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. This is the child of promise, the child who has been promised to Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. So Hagar and Ishmael are cast out, and they almost die. But again, the Bible tells us that God protected Hagar and her son. Finally, in Genesis chapter 25, we read that Ishmael settled near his mother's people, and Ishmael fathered 12 children who would be a spiritual contrast to the 12 tribes of Israel that come to us through Isaac's line. Let me just conclude this evening by saying Dr. James Dobson tells of a story or a time when he watched his daughter's pet hamster trying to gnaw its way out of the cage to what no doubt looked to the hamster like freedom. But Dobson saw something that the hamster did not. The family pet dog was watching expectantly from a few feet away. If the hamster had worked his way free, it would have met sudden and violent death. The cage was really a protection and a blessing. We are often like a pet hamster. We try to break free of situations in our lives that we feel are confining or a trial that God has put us in, thinking that we could really just really live if we could get away from that situation. But God sees that our real need is to submit to him in times of difficulty. We need to realize that even as God saw Hagar, he sees us. Not only is God able to see our troubles, but we're reminded that God sees everything we do. He even sees into the secret most parts of our heart. Indeed, the Lord looks upon the heart and judges even the motives for which we have done everything that we have done. We are therefore admonished to remember 
that we will all be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is El-Rohi, the God who sees. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God who sees us, who knows us intimately, who sees where we came from and where we're going to, who know what we've done and why we've done it, and you love us anyway. You love us intimately. You love us more than we even love ourselves, and you desire for us the best. You never bring trials in our lives just so that we'll have difficulties, but you allow those things to come into our lives to achieve a spiritual purpose. Father, help us to be careful not to try to run away from everything that comes at us in life, but to realize that you're with us even in the most difficult trials of life. And when we find ourselves tried, pulled to our very most, help us, Lord, to turn to you, find our strength in you, and through whatever the situation is and circumstances, Help us to learn whatever it is that you want us to learn in life. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.